who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair and yep. his ice-cold demeanor and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. My name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. Come on, guys, don't do this. If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy. I don't think you like me grumpy. And you go in pieces, asshole. Let's kick some ass. Hello, and welcome back to I Must Break, this podcast the fan podcast looking at the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Today, we're going back to school and looking at the 2016 family comedy, Kindergarten Cop 2. In this remake of the 1990 Arnold Schwarzenegger classic, Dolph stars as Zach Reed, a tough FBI agent who must go undercover as a kindergarten teacher in order to find a flash drive containing the evidence needed to put away an Albanian gangster. Yet his class of six-year-olds and their needy and liberal ways give Reed much more than he bargained for. At Seattle's most prestigious elementary school, children are given the guidance they need. Deep breath in, deep breath out. To become good citizens of the world. Fortunately, this academy just hired the perfect teacher. Dolph Lundgren is Kindergarten Cop 2. This machine owes me Twix bar. He's an undercover FBI agent looking for stolen data. How close are you to making a breakthrough? They're definitely warming up to me. And one of these kids holds the key. They are totally useless for reliable information. To uncover the truth, he'll have to use every trick in the book. They can smell fear. They're six. I have two mommies, and they tell me I shouldn't trust boys. Next! From Universal Pictures. They're children. I can handle this. Dude, you're dreaming. Hey, put that away! Comes an all-new movie. Things can spiral out of control very quickly. They're little monsters. <laughs> Mr. Lee gave us chocolate. She's funny. Starring Dolph Lundgren. All right, everybody, let's sit down. Indian style. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And Bill Bellamy. You don't say Indian style. See what I got to deal with? Is that the other kindergarten teacher? She is fine. The school isn't what I expected. Tell me about it. Kindergarten Cop 2. That's how Zach Reed, kindergarten teacher, rolls. I'm your host, Sean, and returning to the show to help me discuss this one is my buddy and major cinephile, Nathan Burt. Uh, Nathan, it's been a while, but I know you were, golly, you kept calling me every day. You know, when are we going to tackle Kindergarten Cop 2? Please, please. I really want to discuss this one, so thank you. Break, breaking down your door is more <laughs> is is more like what I would call it. But yes, um, I'm happy to be back, and thank you for having me to discuss yet another uh, Dolph movie where he is in education of some sort. 
It was inevitable. It was inevitable. I mean, I, I said it the last time when we discussed detention. Uh, you and I have experience in the in the worlds of education, we'll say. So I think it uh, it was pretty much a given that uh, you were going to be coming back for this one. So uh, so thank you. You bet. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So I guess, you know, be, before we get going, I mean, you, you mentioned something earlier I wanted to ask you about. Um, because there's there's a lot of problems with this film, but I mean, we'll just get to it real quick. Is it fair to say you did enjoy this one a little bit more than Detention? Is that right? Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> that being said, the bar wasn't very high. So um, I, I would say that, yes, overall, this was a more enjoyable experience for me than, than uh, Detention was. Well, this isn't, I mean, you know, as I was watching this, obviously this is not really a sequel to the original, but it's essentially a remake that, let's be honest, is arriving 26 years after the first one. Um, I wanted to, before we get into this one, I wanted to quickly talk about the original film because I don't know about you, but as I was watching this film, it made me really almost want to go back and watch the original. And I mean, look, I know that, uh, I mean, for me personally, the original Kindergarten Cop, I mean, man, that was that was on cable constantly when I was a kid throughout the 90s. But I'll, I'll admit it's it's not my favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger film, but there is, there's so much about that film that really make it, um, they really make it a solid vehicle. And I, I have a few points that I wanted to, that, that I kind of came to, but I'll just go to you real quick. You're a big fan of the original Kindergarten Cop, right? I I unabashedly adore the original Kindergarten Cop. I have nothing but uh, wonderful memories of seeing it when um, I was a kid when it first came out. I saw it a couple of times in the movie theater, I remember. I remember opening uh, opening weekend seeing it. I remember seeing it a couple weeks later. I also remember renting it the first weekend that it was out on video. Um, and... Um, it's a movie that I've, that I've come back to recently, mainly because I've done a lot of traveling in the Pacific Northwest and I've spent a lot of time in Astoria recently. Um, and it's a movie that I've come back to quite a bit. And it's one of those movies where, um, I don't feel like I can kind of approach it properly from a, you know, from a a critical standpoint, not that I'm a, a critic by any means, but, I can't really approach it from a fair standpoint as a critic because it's so enmeshed and kind of tied to my nostalgia of that time. And um, in seeing it now, it's really kind of hard for me to detach that, that really, really fond memories I have of that. So is it a great film? You know, objectively, I can't, I, I, I can't really say that. Um, but do I have wonderful, great memories of it? Yes. Is it a solid film? Yes. I think it's a, it's a really solid film. I think it's, it's a really fun concept. Um, and it was, it's great to see uh, Schwarzenegger at the time, especially playing off of that, um, that, you know, kind of badass image that he had. And, um, you know, the, a sequel, Kindergarten Cop 2, just begs the question, what's the point? Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, everything you said is correct. You know, as I was watching this, uh, this sequel remake, whatever you want to call it, 
like I said, it, it made me go back and think about the original and what made the original such a solid film. And so I, I kind of charted these down. I wrote these down. And I don't know if you would agree with this, but in my opinion, I think there are four things about the original that not only make it a solid film, but really help it hold up in my opinion. And so, and I don't know where you stand on any of these, but one of them you already talked about was Arnold Schwarzenegger. So if you, if you go back, if you can think about this, uh, you know, about this, this era, you know, Schwarzenegger obviously had the film twins before this one, but this film really exposed audiences to another side of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And what was, what's almost fascinating about it. I mean, obviously you don't realize it at the time, but as you look back upon it, you realize Arnold, man, he was he was making some really calculated decisions throughout his career that I think helped him become the biggest movie star in the world. So if you look at Kindergarten Cop, this film was that 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 film was sandwiched in between Total Recall and Terminator 2, which are two extremely violent action movies. And so I think that was like I said, when I think when I said it was a calculated decision on his behalf, I think he was, you know, of the mindset of, yes, I am the king of action cinema. Okay. But you have kindergarten cop to kindergarten cop that's coming in. Well, this allows him to uh, show audiences that he could successfully do comedy as well. And so, and obviously, you know, he has these two action films on each side of this. So he's still kind of appealing to those masses as well. But if you look at the original man, I think it really exposed him and showed audiences that not only was he a great big teddy bear, but that he, could be funny if given the right material. Are this all your lunches? You mean you eat other people's lunches? Stop it! Now we're going to do something extremely fun. We're going to play a wonderful game called Who is my daddy and what does he do? Yes? Is your daddy a fireman? He's probably big. Is he a wrestler? Is he a basketball coach? No, 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 no. What's the matter? Oh, I have a headache. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. Well, and, and I think I think that's definitely correct. And he's certainly, you know, he certainly had has a humorous kind of streak through a lot of his movies, even his kind of pure action movies, stuff like Commando. Um, stuff like eraser, which would come out after this, obviously, but they have these like really kind of campy throwaway, you know, one liners that are throughout total recall has it a lot as well too. Um, and these kind of impossible, ridiculous over the top action sequences. Like I think of that scene in commando where he is um, swinging across the, the mall on this. Um, I don't know if you, if you know what I'm talking about, but he's, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> he's like, he's like attached to streamers or something like that. And he's swinging himself across the, the mall in order to get to the other side instead of just running around. And um, so he, you know, he's always had this vein of, of kind of silliness running through his movies. Um, this was definitely more of a targeted, um, you know, there were a couple of reasons for this, right? There's this, I'm targeting a different kind of demographic of people, but also wasn't kindergarten cop really kind of tied into some of the presidential fitness stuff that he wanted to um, enact at the federal yep. level with, with this yeah. as well. So there, there were reasons to kind of go with that as well too. But when you, when you think about 
kindergarten cop and you think about the um the the narrative of that movie it's yeah it's got these like fun scenes and there's all these little kids doing silly things and like you know we re- we we cut to these reaction shots of Schwarzenegger you know reacting to these things that kids are doing and he doesn't know how to respond to it and um but there's there's some really heavy adult material in that movie i mean there's this whole drug um this whole drug overdose story that happens with this with these people the whole reason he's there is to catch this um this drug dealer and then it it all leads up to this this very very violent oh yeah and this very violent um climax with in the in the bathroom of this of this elementary school and um you really you really kind of start to think like yeah and the pg-13 rating is definitely deserved but like really where is like, he really kind of straddles these two audiences, the one that he's trying to kind of convert and the one that he's, he's bringing in from his other, from his other pictures. Most definitely. I mean, I mean, you, you, I mean, you just said it. Yeah, it is, especially near the end. I mean, it gets really violent, but in a, in a, in a weird way, it balances itself so well. And I think a lot of that is uh, to my second point. My second reason, I think why the film works is Ivan Reitman. I mean, and I think that was something that uh, Arnold always did is he always wanted, I think Arnold was a guy, he realized, look, I may be a little rough around the edges in terms of the acting, but if I align myself with really solid accomplished directors, then I'm going to put forth good material. And so, yeah, Ivan Reitman, someone who's experienced in comedy was proven, uh, had proven by that point. Yeah. That he could successfully direct comedy. Well, and the third thing that I really wanted to, uh, to touch upon is the score. I don't know if you are a fan of Randy Edelman's score in uh, the first film, but it is, I mean, it is so, such a signature um, uh, character. I would say uh, uh, part of the first movie. I sure am. I'm a huge, I actually have it. I downloaded it from iTunes, um, you know, several years ago. I listened to it quite a bit, um, especially when I'm at work. Um, Randy Edelman had this, has this like really fascinating string of, of really great kind of organic, organically comic scores all from that time period. Like, this included, and then Troop Beverly Hills a couple uh, the year before, and then two years after that with Drop Dead Fred. And um, it's actually one of the my big kind of laments is that more of his stuff isn't available from that time period for people to listen to. It's it's a it's a great score. Um, it uh, it kind of ca- it captures again that 
that the difference are the, the two different worlds that Schwarzenegger seems to be kind of straddling within the work that he's doing in that movie. So it captures kind of like the light, goofy, fun piece of the kindergarten classroom scenes and the scenes where he's, you know, training them, et cetera, et cetera. And then with the kind of like more of the like, Brad, I'm going to, I'm going to ruin his last name, but Brad Fiedel, Fiedel, who did the scores for like Terminator and Terminator 2 and stuff like that. It kind of like, then he, he's able to kind of balance both of those, both of those two different things. Um, so again, it was this, um, we see, we kind of keep coming back to this idea that he's, he's got these two different kind of sets of audiences that he's bringing together in this one kind of holiday um, package because the movie came out back in uh, I want to say like late December of 1990 91 1990 yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah I mean the Randy Randy Edelman stuff is is great and the fourth thing I think that makes the uh, the the film stand up even to this day I will say right now is the villain I mean and you already touched upon it but look villains are extremely important to the conflict of the film. And Richard Tyson as Crisp, as the character of Crisp, is excellent. You know, it makes me wonder why we never really got to see much more of uh, Richard Tyson over the years. But in this one, yeah, he he plays an evil drug dealer. And there are, can we just take a minute, please, to appreciate the fun and nuanced character touches that are there with Crisp that I just love. Okay. For one, he kills mercilessly. He's very, very well dressed. Um, there's even one scene where he's getting a manicure, but the absolute best characteristic that he is given is the fact that his right hand accomplice is his own mother. I mean, and it sounds, I mean, just mentioning it, I mean, it sounds silly me talking about that. Okay. That, that the villain of this movie is essentially a mama's boy, but the way in which it is played is so good. Carol Baker plays Crisp's mother. She's absolutely deliciously evil as well. I mean, even Crisp is afraid of her. But that is one little uh, character nuance that I think was just played brilliantly in the first one. I don't like what you've done. I really don't like it. It feels terrible and it looks dreadful. I'm trying my best. Well, maybe your best isn't good enough. I'm back. Oh, great. Well, that was fast. It was easy. I have some great, exciting, wonderful news, Mother. Oh, you always exaggerate, Cullen. Everything is always great, terrific. So what's so great? I just found out where they're hiding. Are you serious? You really know where he is? Manicure, Mr. Cruz? Um, how could I say no to you? Tell me. What's happened? Just let me handle this myself, Mother. I know what I'm doing. Everything is under control. I'm a police officer. Crisp, you're under arrest. Put your hands on your head, slowly, and get up. Kimball, not again. Your hands. They're up. When are you going to leave me alone? Drop the gun! Yeah, that's right, drop the gun! Hey, I'm a police officer. This is an arrest. This man is crazy. Look at him. He wants to kill me. You're just going to stand there? Freeze! Oh, jeez. I'm a cop, you idiot. I'm Detective John Kimball. This man is under arrest. Yeah, we'll see about that. I'm checking it out. You can't just walk in here and put a gun in my face. I'm trying to get a manicure. I have witnesses. I have a witness, too. It's murder one this time. Now you're mine. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's great. This is kind of classic, 
almost like Ma Barker type relationship that's going on there with um, her kind of involving her her own son into this kind of life of criminality and stuff. And um, this is the his second movie after this great uh, this great performance that he had in Three O'clock High. I don't know if that's yes. a movie you ever saw, but <laughs> yes. um, he's he's great in this movie as this kind of like high school bully that's going to beat up. Uh, or that's the whole movie is kind of revolving around when he is going to beat up Casey's size Mako. I think I just completely ruined his name as well too, but um, it's um, it's great to kind of see him to, to see him play off of that um, is yeah. It, I think he he's really good in that role. And I mean, Carol Baker for, for God's sakes, she is, she's classic Hollywood actress, and, you know, in several, several, several films over several decades, and then to all of a sudden see her show up in this film, in this type of role, is is a, a fabulous touch. Well, okay, so we talked about all of the things that made uh, the first Kindergarten Cop movie work, okay? The, uh, the score, the direction, and the villain. Um, Sadly, none of these nuances are present in this sequel. We do not get a memorable score. Um, we do get a director who's experienced in the uh, the world of direct-to-video cinema, but the villain, there's really nothing there with the villain. The villain is just simply a uh, a big, brutish Albanian gangster who's not intimidating in the least. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, I don't know if you picked up on this, but I think everything about the first movie that made the first movie stand up is pretty much absent from the sequel remake, whatever you want to call it. Well, what's interesting about this sequel is that it's essentially just the first movie updated a little bit for 2016 or whenever. Yeah. It came out. <laughs> um, and so you would think, wow, this, you know, as with most sequels, like here's this formula. It worked really well. I think kindergarten cop was, even though it had Schwarzenegger in it and it had, you know, other big names in it, you know, Penelope Ann Miller at the time was, was no slouch by any means. And, um, you know, Ivan Reitman directing, he was, you know, Ivan, you know, Ghostbusters Reitman, right? Like, I mean, I think it was still kind of almost like a sleeper kind of hit though, almost um, in the fact that it's these kind of elements that, um, again, these kind of odd elements that are all coming together in one screenplay and it, you know, it just worked. It it clicked with audiences. And what's what's strange about the new film is that since they repeat it, you would think, oh, you know, it's been twenty five plus years since the last one. It'll be kind of nice to have a new, um, like, to just kind of get this familiar story and to kind of get cozy with it. And it just kind of like it just doesn't work. It just kind of lays there. Yeah. And, it also it, it just kind of just just feels disjointed and just sits there and doesn't do much and um, you know if anything as I'm sure you've kind of already said like all it really does is just make you appreciate how how different and how good the original one was yeah how tightly constructed the original was yeah well I mean if we look at Dolph okay if we look at uh, our man of the hour I mean if you look at Dolph in this film I think it's fair to say I think he's doing what he can um, of course. 
with the material. I mean, I think, I don't know how you felt or not, but I think he's likable on screen. It's, it's evident that, um, you know, that he is trying, this is, I mean, even to this day to, for that matter, this is a very different role for him compared to any of his previous films. I mean, here, like Schwarzenegger before him, Dolph is showing audiences a new warm side, to you know, his tough exterior, which is pretty refreshing. So I think it's, it's pretty evident why he signed on and agreed to this role. I I don't know if, if you wondered this, but I almost kind of wonder, okay, if this was not tied to the kindergarten cop name and was its own original story, if possibly the film might have had more success and wouldn't come off as uh as dopey <laughs> as I think it ends up being. Well, so here's here's the thing. Dolph Lundgren is always interesting on camera. He's, you know, he's got this kind of like, this kind of like formidable physique about him. He's tall. He's um, attractive. He, he is someone who people, I think, would find interesting, right? I mean, certainly you have a podcast dedicated to him. He certainly has um, a, you know, a, a following to him. I think this the idea of whether or not it if it didn't have the the kindergarten cop name to it, I think that the film would suffer all the more just because people would be saying, "Isn't this just kindergarten cop?" Right. Does that make sense? I think yeah. they would be saying like, "Oh, you know this you know this movie is about a guy who's going undercover at an elementary school in order to find a certain specific thing." Like people would say, "Oh, yeah, no, this is just." This is just kindergarten cop. Well, something that I really noticed about it, you know, watching this film. Um, so we should probably say, okay, Dolph plays the character of Zach Reed. He's this single FBI agent who's also very proud of his bachelor status and even brags to his partner about how he enjoys, you know, having the occasional hookup. Um, we're going to get to some of those characteristics here in a minute. But something I really, really noticed about this film, again, which makes you appreciate the original all the more is I think with this film, for me, this was the major difference between Dolph and Arnold. Okay. So if you look at the original film, okay, the original kindergarten cop film for the first 15 to 20 minutes. And again, I, I, I hate to keep going back to this, but how tightly constructed the first movie is. But if you look at the original for the first 15 to 20 minutes of that film, Arnold is essentially playing the Terminator. Okay, and for those first 15 minutes, you know, he has the trench coat, the, shunt, the sunglasses, the shotgun. And then what we get to see in the film is we get to see his character go through this arc where he not only learns to become a teacher, but also um, his humanity is kind of brought to the surface. And it's really, I'll, I'll say, you know, even to this day, I think it's really, really touching. Here, Dolph's character never goes through an arc. I mean, he's a womanizer at the beginning and he remains one by the end by landing this uh, young, hot kindergarten teacher, which I imagine we'll be getting to. Um, and we never even really, <laughs> we never even really get to see him grow as a teacher either. I mean, I mean, I don't know about you, but watching the first film, you know, you get to really see the trials and the tribulations of being a kindergarten teacher. And you get to see him, even though the film was only a hundred minutes, you get to really see Arnold grow and become that educator that, um, that I think uh, he didn't want to be, but that he, that he became in this film. We never really get to see Dolph become a teacher. We get to change in any way. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the first movie where 
a lot of that comedy comes from the fact that we're playing off of these kind of images that we that we have and that we own of Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? And so um, just, you know, the concept alone is enough to kind of uh, make you giggle a little bit, right? Like, oh, this yeah. like big, you know, Mr. Universe is now going to be in charge of 25-year-olds. Oh, oh the hilarity. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I can't wait to see what 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 happens here. And, you know, if, if the original film has a downfall, and I'm sure it probably has more if I can think of it, is that, like, it probably could have mined some of that a little bit more. Like, what like what other, like, crazy situations could we really have found him in as he thinks, you know, he's walking into this situation where he's like, hey, I deal with criminals all day long. These are five-year-olds. It's fine. I can handle them. And like you get, you get a little bit of that at the beginning. Um, but then, you know, he finally figures out how to kind of create this routine for these kids and turn them into police officers or mini police officers in his classroom with them. And, and with, with this film, there's really just kind of like this, or with the second film, it's really just kind of like this. The only thing you know, if, if memory serves, it's been about a month or so since I watched it a little bit over that. If memory serves, like really the, if only you want to borrow it again, I can hook you up. You want to borrow I, it again? Yeah. I yeah. mean, Christmas break is coming up. I, I would <laughs> love to spend another 95 minutes with it, but the, um, the, he's just kind of like, okay, I'm going to, uh, the, the Zach Reed characters is like, okay, I'm going to come into the school. I'm going to look for this thumb drive. And I'm going to leave. And he, you know, all he really, all he really is like paying attention to in the film is these, um, like the fact that, you know, the kids can't heat up their lunch in, in certain types of plastic in the microwave or like, he's really just responding to these kind of like bizarre anti-liberal like things that the screenplay throws in, which I don't really understand. It doesn't really make sense to me, but then like, he just kind of sits there and is like befuddled by it, but then nothing <laughs> comes of it. Nothing happens. It's just, it's there just to, to what? To, I mean, like I certainly don't mind people making fun of liberals or Democrats. I mean, I, I it doesn't bother me, but like, what's the point of it? And so he just kind of like, whereas like, Schwarzenegger like really was his character was really forced to like interact with this environment and was really forced to kind of like continue being this cop and continue looking for the kid whose dad whose whose dad was Chris. Here he's just kind of like I'm just looking for this thumb drive and there's no real, there's no real there's no real like juice to the work that he's doing with these kids like there's no he's not doing anything with these kids. Um, he essentially could have been placed in an old folks home and it would have been the same, it would have been the same setup. Well, if we look at, uh, you know, there's a couple other, uh, characteristics about the character that, you know, we, about the character of Zachary that we can talk about. Um, for one, I mean, they don't give us much other than the fact that, okay, he, he lives in a, uh, trailer. Okay. The film is set in Seattle, right? So Zach lives in a trailer that sits on the edge of the coast. Um, 
all of his weights and workout equipment are stationed outside. So we get a scene early on during the title sequence where we see his daily workout routine, which, you know, consists of weights and martial arts training here. I think the director um, who's Don Michael Paul, we haven't said the director of this film, but the film uh, was directed by Don Michael Paul. Um, here, I think the director pretty much just said, uh, hey, Dolph, do what you typically do on a Tuesday, I guess. And then uh, it's also established that, yeah, he's partnered with comedian Bill Bellamy, thus giving us another comedic foil for Dolph. Um, also kind of aligning with the original film where, where Dolph was partnered, excuse me, where Arnold was partnered with the great Pamela Reed, who kind of, you know, provided some uh, levity here and there. That's what they're giving us here. They're giving him the wacky, goofy partner, right? Yeah, and Bill Bellamy is for for my money was the best part of this film. I <laughs> can't say that I've actually followed his career by all that much, but you know, I I certainly remember him in in the '90s, and I I liked what I saw in the '90s of his. And so this was um, for me watching this. I was like, oh, that's Bill Bellamy. This is wonderful. I you know I haven't seen him in a long time, even though I'm sure he's been in been in stuff. I just haven't I haven't seen it. Um, and so for me, it was, he was, he was more interesting than the Dolph Lundgren character, but they didn't really give him anything to do. Um, well, they, just, they established that he has five kids only. We never get to see those. You know I mean, let's like, why do they establish he has like five kids? You know, but. Well, and he's just kind of like, Hey, um, this scene requires his partner to be there. So he's just, he's there. And yeah. like, he he doesn't do much of anything, and it's certainly not his fault. It's the way that the character's written. But um, I, you know, I would have way rather have spent more time with him than you know the weird um, that weird Hal character who played the <laughs> technology teacher or librarian or whatever he was, and that was super awkward. I didn't care at all about the kindergarten teacher that he was supposedly having uh you know he was getting into a relationship with um is that miss sinclair was that her name um i i, I mean truly the bill bellamy character was the only one i mean the whole the whole um you know villain stories felt all just like a, a throwaway plot and it, it's resolved at the end only because it has to be and that's that's pretty much it well yeah i mean so let's just get to that okay so uh, Reed and Sanders, so this is Dolph and, and Bill Bellamy's character, they're on the trail of this Albanian gangster named Zogu, okay? And so the MacGuffin of the film, if you will, uh, they need a flash drive that contains the locations and the whereabouts of everyone involved in the FBI's witness protection program. So they established that a witness in hiding who can testify against Zogu is at risk of being killed if Zogu and his goons find this person. And so this flash drive was in the possession of a local kindergarten teacher. This person was killed by the Albanians, but not before he gave up the location of its whereabouts. So Dolph's Reed character does get the drop on it, and he gets the wise idea to go undercover in this school and take the place of the deceased kindergarten teacher. Now, I, I have so many things. I want, to, I want to get your opinion on this. But, okay, obviously, the flash drive, it, all it is is it's the MacGuffin. It's the plot device to get Dolph into the kindergarten class so that we can have all this you know comedy ensue. I get that, okay? I honestly feel 
what's on the flash drive really isn't even necessary. I mean, I, I don't know if you picked up on this, but the impetus in establishing why it was ever even in the hands of the kindergarten teacher is extremely hazy and glossed over. And the the other crime about this that I just could not, I was amazed that they didn't even bother with is, okay, the kindergarten teacher, Mr. Flaherty, is never even shown. I mean, supposedly he's the brother of a whistleblower who's locked up in prison, but they never bother showing us any of these characters. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think, uh, it was it Miss Hagley in the first picture was never shown either, right? She oh, was right. Yeah. Um, they just they you know they replaced her because the cops came to came to the principal and said that they had to. But with yeah, with this guy, I think that was that was something that I had noticed before was that there was no there's no reason for this to have taken again to have taken place in a kindergarten classroom. They don't make it so that there is a reason for there to have been the fact that he needs to go to this kindergarten classroom in order to find this flash drive or this thumb drive or whatever it is that he's looking for. Um, there's, there's this, there's very weak connections as to why the, the teacher would be involved in this in the first place. Like you said, yeah, and, it doesn't make um, any sense. The fact that the the thumb drive is just hiding somewhere in the school um, to begin with or in the classroom, what I don't understand is is why, I mean, I I, I get it, I know, because if they did this and there'd be no movie, but why he didn't just spend time after the kids left for the day tearing the classroom apart looking for the thumb drive. Um, it, 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 It just, most of it didn't, didn't make much sense. Well, I guess, you know, going back to detention, I mean, that was our big, uh, if you remember, okay, that was our big complaint with detention, where the explanation for why the villains were invading a high school was never even really fleshed out. So I guess considering the second time Dolph plays a teacher, I really shouldn't be uh, expecting too much in terms of uh, narrative impetus, right? And I'm certainly not expecting anything in terms of this is what this is what education is actually like by any means. So. <laughs> well, that, that's an excellent segue. Yeah, let, let's just get there because, I mean, and you you mentioned this to me when you watched the film initially. It's it's almost it's weird. It's almost like the the screenplay has some kind of agendas, if you will. I don't know what's going on, but there's some current there's some real digs that the film is making. I wouldn't say at the current state of education, but I would say at um, certain aspects of uh, education in the midst of political correctness. Okay. So we get scenes where the kids are eating tofu and we have to be mindful of peanut allergies. One kid is even mentioning the importance of eating gluten-free. And then there's even that the classroom has a therapy pig. I mean, it's, it's very clear that um, that's what the screenplay is doing is that it's, it's poking fun at, uh, at, the current state of uh, certain people in the world of education, I would say. Yeah. And I, and again, I think that there is, you know, you and I both have been teachers or worked in education for well over a decade. And I think that there is a lot of humor and satire to mine from some of the more ridiculous things that you and I have seen, not only with um, colleagues, but, um, um, parents and students, administration, et cetera, et cetera. There's 
a lot there. There's a lot to, there's a lot to satirize just in general um, in the daily life of an educator. And what I, what I, what I guess I didn't understand about this was that really it was making the kids the brunt of the jokes. And that to me didn't make any sense. Like the, in the first movie, these kids are the, the joke is his reaction to what the kids are doing, not necessarily the kids themselves. And in this movie, all it is is him essentially making fun of um, certain things that are going on, like peanut allergies. Why? I, I don't understand why that's funny. There has to be a reason that that's funny, right? There has to be a reason that like making fun of a child because they have a peanut allergy and needing to make sure that that they are safe and they are protected is funny. And I, like, I just didn't get that from, from the screenplay. I think the screenplay though, is kind of like I've alluded to before is the screenplay has bigger designs than this. The screenplay has not necessarily designed so much to make fun of the state of current education, which it does, but to more kind of broadly, just kind of like poke fun at liberalism in general which again is fine. Absolutely do that. There's no problem with that. But what's the point of it? Like have there be a point to it? Because like Schwarzenegger wasn't doing that in the first movie. He wasn't making fun of political ideology. He wasn't, um, you know, trying to put half of the country down. He wasn't trying to like have these children be mouthpieces for you know, some weird vendetta that he had against um, political ideologies. But this this one does, and it's it's all just kind of lays there and it's hollow and it's flat and it doesn't make any sense. Well, the part that really made me roll my eyes, okay? I mean, because, again, when you when you get back to the core concept of this thing, it's pretty much, okay, big, tough guy, in the uh, thrown in the middle of 30 crazy kids. Okay. I get that. But the part that really just, I was like, what, what is going on here is where, okay, Dolph. Okay. We haven't talked about this, but he's this swing and tough bachelor. Who's just, he has this magnetism with all ladies. We haven't really talked about that, but all the women just swoon for him every time he's in their presence. But he, in a bizarre scene, he provides little kids with, chocolate chunk cookies because apparently nathan i guess he is completely unaware of the effect that sugar has on kids i guess like, i mean all right everybody snack time i brought a special treat for you guys because today is my first day and uh, cowboy look no peanuts are checked who wants some chocolate chunk cookies do they have 78 percent cacao no this is real chocolate. Milk chocolate. With processed white sugar? Who cares? It's chocolate. Okay, guys, you're in for an awesome surprise. Come on. Wow. Good to eat some real chocolate once in a while, huh? 
come on. Like, I mean, he's in the FBI and he does not know that giving six-year-olds chocolate chip cookies is going to make them go crazy. And it seems like all they, all that scene was there for is it was just leading to the moment where he could mirror the original and scream, shut up. Kind of like Arnold did in the first one. Is, is that the purpose of giving the kids chocolate cookies? And then, and I guess being surprised that they are out of their minds at the idea of sugar, I guess. Sure. And I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's the whole point of this kind of bizarre state of, you know, television show revamps that we're in and um, this kind of like nostalgia driven pop culture era that we're in right now. Um, you know, one of the, one of the scenes that everyone remembers from, kindergarten cop is it's you know it's not a tumor scene and you know boys have a penis girls have a vagina scene and then the you know the scene where he yells shut up at everyone right um and gets them to try to get them to stop being crazy um and so really it's just these um these scenes are kind of thrown in um for two reasons one for lack of better ideas and two because the you know the screenwriters want to capitalize on people's you know fondness and nostalgia for um, whatever it is that they're revamping or they're redoing, and um, you're really not getting anything. Um, again, it's not really it's not doing anything. This movie is like eating cotton candy, right? It's not um, it's not filling. It's not really all that tasty. Cotton candy is disgusting. And um, it's it's just all a bunch of, you know, fluff and hot air. And it's just kind of a, I don't know, whatever. Well, Dolph was only in the school. I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but he's only in the school for five days because there are clear title cards in the film letting you know how long he's been there. And I'm going to go back to something I said earlier with the Arnold original Okay, the narrative establishes more time to where ostensibly, I don't know if you picked up on this, but I felt like the first one, it establishes it to where, okay, ostensibly, I believe that Arnold, by a certain point in the film, has ingratiated himself into the school for at least a couple months. But in this one, again, because it is such a carbon copy of the original of a lower quality I guess Dolph, not only does he make connections with all these students and become a master teacher and start a relationship with one of the other teachers, but he does all this in over the course of not even a full week, basically. Yeah. Right. And I mean, there's that, there's that great scene in the, in the original where it's him and Linda Hunt are in the principal's office and she, you know, she's leading him down this, this one path with this speech where she's telling him like, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Your conventions are your, your, your work is unconventional. Nothing seems to be working, but then she said, you know, she kind of flips it and she says, but the kids seem to be responding. They seem to love you. I checked you out. There is no record of you ever having taught at any public school in California or anywhere else. Mr. Kimball, you have no teaching experience whatsoever, do you? Someone finally noticed. I thought the introduction of a ferret was a horrible idea, but the children seemed to like it. 
I thought the use of your police whistle was outrageous, but... It's all I could think of. Please allow me to finish. Sorry. But it worked. I have no idea what kind of police officer you are. But you're a very good teacher. Thank you. You you really see like the film that film again that film isn't Shakespeare by any means. That film is not Kurosawa. It's not, you know, it's not Bergman. It's not something that is going to kind of like shake the global scale and is going to make people re re rethink their lives and um or anything. But there is the that film takes care to kind of not only map his progression and his arc as a character, but it also kind of shows the arc of other people within his kind of atmosphere, right? So we see the arc of the principal and her secretary in that movie. We see how the Penelope Ann Miller character kind of changes over time. We get to learn more about the Pamela Reed character as she's going on. You know, she starts out with this, I'm your I'm your partner, and then she gets the, the bout of food poisoning, and that's what makes it so that he has to take over. And then you find out later in the movie that she's engaged to be married to this guy, and this guy is kind of like this goofy doofus, and um, but she really loves him, and like you find out these different things, and you there's there's these great like small lines of dialogue that even Crisp has where you know he's talking to his mom and he says you shoved all this crap down my throat for years and there was nothing wrong with me and she says that's why there was nothing wrong with you mother got this great surprise with junior that'll be 5790 5790 children's aspirin children's decongestant antihistamine there's a lot of flu going around this time of year, isn't that so? It is the season. The boy's not sick. It doesn't hurt to take precautions. Mother, you are going to make him sick. He stuffed all this crap down my throat for years and there was nothing wrong with me. That's why there was nothing wrong with you. Now, how can you argue with that? You get these kind of like great little just one or two line pieces of dialogue that kind of flesh these people out and um, give them these kind of like narrative arcs throughout. And with this, you just don't have that again. He comes in, he deals with the kids, he looks for the thing and then he leaves. And that's, that's it. And um, again, if like we keep saying, it just kind of helps you really appreciate how how much better the first one is well okay i mean okay so once reed is in the school and covering for the kindergarten class we meet some of the other staff members of the school um apparently this pricey private schools they establish that this is a private school that is very very pricey for uh, parents to send their kids but apparently the school only has three employees or maybe better yet, the budget can only afford for three others, but um, we only have three employees. We have the principal, we have Olivia, the kindergarten teacher and Hal, 
the uh, goofy computer science teacher. You mentioned Hal. So I wanted to go to him real quick because, all right, so he's this computer science teacher. Um, this is, he's the other, um, he's the other attempt at comedy, I guess, in this film. But what's, what's so sad about this is the comedy all boils down to the fact that we're supposed to laugh at him because he is overweight and he is a nerd. And that is it. Like we're supposed to laugh at the fact that this is a goofy fat guy who is uh, who's a geek, basically. And how tired is that? How boring is that? (laughs) How? I mean, Hal, the Michael Northey who plays him, is clearly an interesting actor. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else other than this, but he does well at playing this like super awkward, uncomfortable, nerdy guy um, and to the point where you do really feel bad for him. But like, that's, that's kind of like when you, when you think about the, when you think about this film, it's really kind of in line with this, this mean streak of, of what the film thinks is funny. Like we think it's funny to make fun of these kids who have peanut allergies. We think it's funny to make fun of, you know, parents who are wanting their children to be a little bit safer about different environmental issues. We think it's funny to laugh at kids who, whose parents have raised them vegetarian. We think it's funny to laugh at somebody because they're, they're, they're overweight and a little unattractive. And, um, I like again it's it's not funny it's sad and it kind of speaks for me it speaks to the um you know David Steinberg is the guy who wrote this screenplay Murray Salem they credit him as a screenplay writer as well too but that's impossible since he died in 1998 but um he created the original screenplay for the first movie so maybe that's why they're giving him some credit for this and then um, Herschel Weingrad is the is the other screenplay writer, and to me, it speaks to this great um, this this a great sadness about them as writers that they would think that this is something that is there. Are, these are things that are funny and things that we make that we make fun of in society. Well, the other the other element about this, I think, that is a little disturbing is look. Let's just get to it, okay? Dolph's love interest in this film is the uh, the character of Olivia. Okay, so she's the other kindergarten teacher. Um, this is again, once again, following the uh, the blueprint of the original, where okay, Dolph, the big tough guy who comes in, is going to fall in love with uh, one of the other teachers who is there. Um, the problem with this is that okay, let's let's just face it, she's half his age. I mean, there is a thirty year age difference between them. And they never even really acknowledge this. It never stands out in any kind of way. Or excuse me, it stands out to us, the viewers, but to them, it's never even referenced. And so I'm watching it and it's just kind of icky watching them flirt and become romantically involved. I mean, there's a really kind of a disturbing and wrong trend in a lot of these films, especially these direct-to-video action movies where apparently they think that audiences do not want to watch these action heroes be romantically linked with anyone over the age of 30. Well, I mean, that just speaks to this, this kind of misogyny that's been in, in Hollywood filmmaking for since it began, right? There's, 
there is, there's no getting, there's no getting beyond that. Right. There's, um, you know, women over a certain age cannot be sexy or sexual women over a certain age cannot be attractive women over a certain age, um, who are not, you know, in a relationship, um, will never be in a relationship, et cetera, et cetera. But it's okay for the men, um, you know, Dolph Lundgren to who's he's what in his sixties right now um, to, to be single in this bachelor and have this bachelor pad. And it's strange, but I mean, you know, when you, when you think also about the um, Schwarzenegger film, the, the original one, I mean, Schwarzenegger was born in 47 and um, Penelope Ann Miller was born in 64. So there was certainly, you know, a somewhat of a May December thing happening in that as well too, just, but not to the, not to the like incredible extreme that this film, I mean, this, this, the kindergarten teacher in this movie looks like she just almost graduated kindergarten herself, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and he is, and I think you and I have talked about this before. He is clearly limping around in this movie, not in good shape because he just in real life had just had hip surgery. Right. So right. it's, it is, it is interesting to see this, this extreme, you know, dichotomy between these two people just within their age and the fact that it really is just the emperor's new clothes and nobody seems to mention it. Nobody seems to care about it. Um, it is just what it is. And, and that's that. Well, and again, trying to hit the beats of the original, cause that's what this film is doing. There's a scene where he confronts a uh, stressed out father. Okay. Now in the original, and this is another classic scene that um, everybody remembers in the original Arnold confronts a, uh, an abusive father mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's a really powerful, it's a really great scene. I mean, it's, it's not even shoot. It's, it's what it's a two minute scene, but this scene has gone down. I mean, it's readily available on YouTube. I mean, it is a really uh, a powerful moment here. The film obviously doesn't want to touch upon the serious subject of child abuse. So they established that the dad has been drinking after getting laid off from his job. And so Dolph, speaks to this uh to this dad and kind of speaks some wisdom to him and apparently <laughs> Dolph has connections and is able to find him a position somewhere I don't really know where so the next time we see the dad he is in a suit because apparently according to the script suit equals job I guess mm-hmm. that that's the level we're going here yes Um, And it's also interesting to me that this um, jobless man can continue sending his child to this um, (laughs) school that costs an exorbitant amount of money. But I'm not coming to kindergarten cop two looking for any form of like connection to reality by any means. So I I'll I'll forgive it that. What are your thoughts? I wanted to get your take. What what are your thoughts on the uh, Twix product placement here? I, I, (laughs) I, first of all, I have trouble believing that Dolph being as uh, fit as he is, is pretty much um, relying on a diet of Twix bars all the time. But I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how it goes with product placement in films and whatnot, but did Twix really contribute to the budget of this heavily for Twix to be as prevalent in this movie as it is? I couldn't even begin to tell you. And it's not, it's not like the first film had, had something that was kind of famous in terms of 
product placement. So it would be something that the second film needed to kind of really try to cash in on as well. Um, you know, it, it would, it would be like making a sequel to ET and then having some form of like gigantic product placement to replace it, like with Reese's in the first film. But you know, the first film in, in the kindergarten cop, this, hopefully these two movies and we're done. Um, in the first film didn't have any f- sort of like famous advertising for products other than really the kind of like the city of Astoria. Yeah. Well, I wanted, <laughs> okay. There's a couple other scenes I just wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, okay. How about the auctioning scene? So again, this is another moment that is um, a little weird and doesn't make a whole lot of sense narratively. Um, it is never established, not even in a passing line of dialogue that they're having this auction where they're auctioning off, you know, apparently, you know, a a bunch of, I don't know if it's, it's men and women or if it's just Dolph, because we don't see anybody else who's being auctioned off, but um, no line of dialogue is brought up to this. We're never, it's never established that this is to benefit the school or a fundraiser, maybe even a computer program or something, nothing. All it is, is we have a scene where um, Dolph is being auctioned off to the highest bidder. And it seems like it's all just an excuse once again to show that Dolph is irresistible, not just to uh, women, but to men as well, where they're willing to pay an exorbitant amount of money to simply uh, go on a date with him. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know enough about, Dolph Lundgren personally in order to know whether or not he was like, yeah, I will do this. Um, I'll do this movie, but you have to throw in this scene. That's going to stroke my ego somehow. (laughs) Or I mean, I, I just, I don't know enough about that, but you know, obviously it's, it's another scene to kind of like make fun of like, you know, who are we going to try to, who are we going to try to make angry in this scene? Okay, well, let's make fun of homosexuals in this scene. And like, let's make fun of the fact that Dolph is praying that this guy doesn't outbid everyone else. And um, it's just this other kind of like, I, I am all about like nasty, mean, like rude comedy. I'm all about it. I think there's a place for it. And I think that we need more of it. But there has to be a purpose to it. There has to be a point behind it. There has to be something to drive that. And this is just another this is just another example of this movie where it's the point is to be mean, just to be mean. I certainly wouldn't go so far as to call the film homophobic by any means, um, because it doesn't it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have enough of that kind of streak throughout the whole movie to to even care about gay characters which is fine it doesn't need to be about gay characters but it is it's it's certainly an odd scene well something else that that really um struck out to me as well is and again going back to the original but do you remember in the original film when crisp landed into town and he was near the school. So if you go to, you know, it was about the third act of the film, when he, he and his mother arrive in Astoria, Oregon, okay, there is, I don't know if you felt this way or not, but there's like a real threat 
to those proceedings where it's kind of like an oh shit moment. Like, you know, the uh, the villain of the film is now on our turf. Okay. And so as a result, we get some, you know, the, the stakes suddenly get upped. And if you remember, that's the scene where they realize that, uh, uh, I think it's revealed at the carnival, if I remember in the first one. And that's sure. when, you know, when Arnold's cover is blown and everything. And it's, it, you know, it really ups the stakes here. There's no threat whatsoever, because if you remember the, the gangster Zogu, his goons, hassle Dolph right outside the school. So they know exactly where Dolph is at. They hassle him right outside the school before he goes into work and Dolph beats their ass. No problem. Then goes into work. And so, and I don't know if you felt this way, but it's kind of like, look, if there's no threat whatsoever to Dolph, okay, then it's kind of like, why am I even invested here? Because obviously the character, okay, Dolph, he doesn't seem worried you know, in any kind of way. And as a result, there's never a sense of urgency there on anyone's behalf. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're, uh, we, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at this a little deeper than I'm sure the filmmakers intended us <laughs> intended us to, but I mean, you, you're absolutely right. It, it, the film ends with this incredibly lame climax at, uh, <laughs> when they're on a, when they're on, on a field, field trip. So hold on, real quick. They're on a field trip to bury a time capsule. Have you ever, in your entire years of education, Nathan, have you ever taken the kids on a field trip to bury a time capsule? I have not. I've actually never taken, I've actually never sent my children as a teacher on a field trip without me as their teacher as well, too. And he, (laughs) um, he just stays at the school and lets them go. And, um, it, yeah, it's it's all very odd. It's all very strange. Um, I would think if the film is trying to make some form of point about these, um, you know, modern day education and what we're going through and everything like that, you would think that the film would have at least tried to, you know, throw in something about like, you, you know, violent physical threats to uh, two students in the school and like lockdowns and lockouts and stuff like that. But, you know, these guys come to the school, they try to muscle him. He ends up muscling them and then they're done. I mean, it's, 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 it's just, it's just really, really uninteresting screenwriting well i think you know i mean let's 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 face it we we glossed over this film we looked at the uh at the highs and the lows i think there were maybe um some more valleys than there were peaks in this one but um okay as as someone who adores the original like you do I'm curious, does this film get a recommend from you? And I'm assuming you're going to say no, but I'm curious, why not? What What are your final uh, thoughts on this particular film? I would absolutely not recommend this movie. <laughs> um, if, if I had to tell people between this and detention, like you had to choose a film, I would definitely tell them to choose this one. Um, but I would just tell them to rent the original. It is, or to stream the original, or to buy the original. It is... Um, the same narrative done infinitely better than this. Thank you. Thank you. You know, with regard to my recommend, 
I would say, I, I agree with you. I mean, no, this film is not good per se, um, especially when stacked up against its superior predecessor. I mean, it's 26 years after the original. So not only is it irrelevant at this point, but it's also completely unnecessary. Um, I would say for fans of Dolph Lundgren, there is a certain appeal seeing him in this silly family film and surrounded by kids. And I do wonder if Dolph was more like Ivan Drago in those first 15 minutes and we got to see him grow that humanity and become a better teacher in the process, similar to, you know, Arnold transitioning from the Terminator to teacher in the first movie, if maybe that would have added some more texture to the film as is, yes, it is extremely dopey. Uh, None of the characters are particularly funny. It really just makes you want to go back and rewatch the original once again. I think even as a family film, what's interesting is I actually had this on with my kids in the background and they were bored with it as well. And so what's really interesting about it is it's not entirely appropriate for children. Okay. So I, I, but it's also nothing that I think adults are going to seek out either. I honestly think Nathan, and maybe I'm wrong with this. I don't know, but I wonder if the only people who actually sought something like this out are in fact fans of Dolph Lundgren who just want to see how bizarre the conceit plays out. So I will say, if the idea of Dolph stepping into a kindergarten class and eating Twix bars and teaching them how to cheat at Capture the Flag sounds appealing, then by all means, go ahead and check it out. And I would say, by all means, skip it and check out the original. (laughs) (laughs) Well... This has been a pleasure. I mean, I know this has uh, been brewing for uh, for us uh, for a long time to uh, get back and uh, and do this one. But uh, before I let you go, anything uh, that you want to plug, anything that you want to give a mention to? I know that you um, laboriously uh, log every movie that you've ever seen. Is there anything that you want to give a shout out to? Anything that you've seen of late that uh, that you'd like to uh, to mention or, or what's going on? So there are, um, yeah, I just recently spent some time at the Denver Film Festival a few weekends ago, and there are, there were two movies there that I saw that were outstanding that are coming out soon, and then there's another movie that I saw that same weekend but was not part of the festival that was in theaters but should be coming to streaming soon. So the two movies from the festival that I saw, I can't even believe that I'm mentioning this on a podcast about Kindergarten Cop 2, but... Um, were the new Pedro Moldovar movie called uh, Parallel Mothers, which was absolutely outstanding. And um, the new Sean Baker film called Red Rocket with Simon Rex in it, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, and then the film that I saw that was not part of the festival, what was in theaters at the time is a film called Mass, which is about um, two couples that come together that have been affected by a mass shooting that happened at a local high school. And um, it has some of the strongest acting in any film that I have ever seen. And um, it's definitely the movie that I'm going to be rooting for come award season, hoping that it gets at least nominated, if not wins for a couple of those, those actors and actresses. Awesome. Awesome. I'll have to check those out because I've heard of them, actually, um, all of each one of those, actually. But I wasn't able to make it out to that festival. But um, you've now put them on my radar. So I'm going to I'm going to give them a gander. Yeah. Thanks. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you very, very much um, to everyone out there who is listening. Please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher or 
wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And we'll see you all next time on I Must Break, this podcast. Thank you.